0: section 21 of four and twenty fairy tales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the story of the beauty and the beast by madame duvelneuve translated by james blushing part three So delightful a life ought to have perfectly contented her. But we weary of everything. The greatest happiness fades when it is continual, derived always from the same source, and we find ourselves exempted from fear and from hope. Beauty had experienced this. The remembrance of her family aroused to trouble her. In the midst of her prosperity, her happiness could not be perfect as long as she was denied the pleasure of informing her relations of it. As she had become more familiar with the beast, either from the habit of seeing him or from the gentleness which she had discovered in his nature, she thought she might venture to ask him a question. She did not take this liberty, however, until she had obtained from him a promise that he would not be angry. The question she put to him was, Were they the only two persons in that castle? Yes, I protest to you, replied the beast in a rather excited tone, and I assure you that you and I, the monkeys and the other animals, are the only breathing creatures in this place. The beast said no more and departed more abruptly than usual. Beauty had asked this question only with a view of ascertaining whether her lover was not confined in the palace, she would have wished to see and speak with him. It was a happiness she would have purchased at the price of her own liberty and of all the pleasures by which she was surrounded. That charming youth, existing only in her imagination, she now looked upon this palace as a prison, which would be, one day, her tomb. These melancholy ideas crowded also upon her mind at night she dreamed she was on the banks of a great canal she was weeping when her dear unknown alarmed at her sad state said to her pressing her hand tenderly between his own what is the matter my beloved beauty who can have offended you and what can possibly have disturbed your tranquility by the love i bear you i conjure you to explain the cause of your distress nothing shall be refused to you you are so sovereign here everything is at your command whence arises the sorrow that overpowers you is it the sight of the beast that afflicts you you must be relieved from it at these words beauty imagined she saw the unknown draw a dagger and prepare to plunge it in the throat of the monster who made no attempt to defend himself but on the contrary offered his neck to the blow with a submission and a calmness which caused the beautiful dreamer to fear the unknown would accomplish his purpose before she could endeavour to prevent him. Notwithstanding, she had instantly risen to protect the beast. The instant she saw her efforts likely to be anticipated, she exclaimed with all her might, Hold, barbarian! Harm not my benefactor, or else kill me! The unknown, who continued striking at the beast, notwithstanding the shrieks of beauty, said to her angrily, You love me then no longer, since you take the part of this monster, who is an obstacle to my happiness. You are ungrateful, she replied, still struggling with him. I love you more than my life, and I would lose it sooner than cease to love you. You are all the world to me, and I would not do you the injustice to compare you with any other treasures it possesses. I would, without a sigh, abandon all it could offer me, to follow you into the wildest desert but this tender affection does not stifle my gratitude i owe everything to the beast he anticipates all my wishes it is to him i am in debt for the joy of knowing you and i would die sooner than endure seeing you do him the slightest injury. after several similar struggles the objects vanished and beauty fancied she saw the lady who had appeared to her some nights before and who said to her, Courage, beauty, be a model of female generosity, show thyself to be as wise as thou art charming, do not hesitate to sacrifice thy inclination to thy duty, thou takest a true path to happiness, thou wilt be blessed, provided thou art not misled by deceitful appearances. When beauty awoke, she pondered on this mysterious vision, but still remained an enigma to her, her desire to see her father superseded during the day, the anxiety caused by these dreams of the monster and the unknown, thus neither tranquil at night nor content by day, although surrounded by the greatest luxuries, the only distraction she could find was in the theatre. She went to the Italians, but after the first scene she quitted that performance for the opera, which she left almost as quickly. Her melancholy followed her everywhere. She frequently opened each of the six windows as many times without finding one minute's respite from her cares. Days and nights of equal and unceasing agitation began seriously to affect her appearance and her health. She took great pains to conceal from the beast the sorrow which preyed upon her, and the monster who had frequently surprised her with the tears in her eyes. Upon hearing her say that she was only suffering from a headache, pressed his inquiries no further. One evening, however, her sobs having betrayed her, and feeling it impossible longer to dissemble, she acknowledged to the beast, who begged to know what had caused her affliction, that she was yearning to see her family. At this declaration, the beast sank down without power to sustain himself. And heaving a deep sigh, or rather uttering a howl, that might have frightened any one to death, he replied, Ah! <sighs> how beauty would you then abandon an unfortunate beast? Could I have imagined you possess so little gratitude? What have I left undone to make you happy? Should not the attentions I have paid you preserve me from your hatred? Unjust as you are, you prefer the house of your father and the jealousy of your sisters to my palace and my affections. You would rather tend the flocks with them than enjoy with me all the pleasures of existence. It is not love for your family, but antipathy to me, that makes you anxious to depart." "'No, beast,' replied Beauty, timidly and soothingly, "'I do not hate you and should regret to lose the hope of seeing you again. But I cannot overcome the desire I feel to embrace my relations. Permit me to go away for two months, and I will promise you that I will return with pleasure to pass the rest of my days with you and never ask you another favor. While she spoke, the beast stretched on the ground, his head thrown back only events that he still breathed by his sorrowful sighs. He answered her in these words, I can refuse you nothing but it will perhaps cost me my life. No matter. In the cabinet nearest to your apartment, you will find four chests. Fill them with anything you like for yourself or for your family. If you break your word, you'll repent it and regret the death of your poor beast when it will be too late. Return at the end of two months, and you will still see me alive. For your journey back to me, you will need no equipage. Merely take leave of your family the previous night, before you retire to rest, and when you are in bed, turn your ring, the stone inside your hand, and say with a firm voice, I desire to return to my palace and behold my beast again. Good night. Fear nothing. Sleep in peace. You will see your father early tomorrow morning. Adieu, beauty. As soon as she was alone, she hastened to fill the chest, with all the treasures and beautiful things imaginable. They only appeared to be full when she was tired of putting things into them. After these preparations, she went to bed. The thoughts of seeing her family so soon kept her awake great part of the night, and sleep only stole upon her towards the hour when she should have been stirring. She saw in her dreams her amiable unknown, but not as formerly stretched upon a bed of turf. He appeared a prey to the keenest sorrow. Beauty, touched at seeing him in such a state, flattered herself she could alleviate his profound affliction by requesting to know the cause of it. But her lover, casting on her a look full of despair, said, Can you ask me such a question, inhuman girl? Are you not aware that your departure dooms me to death? Abandon not yourself to sorrow, dear unknown, replied she. My absence will be brief. I wish but to undeceive my family, respecting the cruel fate they imagined has befallen me. I return immediately afterwards to this palace. I shall leave you no more. Ah! Could I abandon a residence in which I so delight?' Besides, I have pledged my word to the beast that I will return. I cannot fail to keep it. And why must this journey separate us? Be my escort. I will defer my departure another day in order to obtain the beast's permission. I am sure he will not refuse me. Agree to my proposal. And we shall not part. We will return together. My family will be delighted to see you and I will answer for their showing you all the attention you deserve. I cannot accede to your wishes, replied the unknown, unless you determine never to return hither. It is the only means of enabling me to quit this spot. How will you decide? The inhabitants of this palace have no power to compel you to return. Nothing can happen to you beyond the knowledge that you have grieved the beast. You do not consider rejoined beauty quickly that he assured me he should die if i broke my word to him what matters it to you retorted the lover is it to be counted a misfortune that your happiness should cost only the life of a monster of what use is he to the world will anyone be a loser by the destruction of a being who appears upon earth only to be the horror of all nature huh exclaimed beauty almost angrily now that i would lay down my life to save his and that this monster who is only one in form has a heart so humane that he should not be persecuted for a deformity which he refrains from rendering more hideous by his actions i will not repay his kindness with such black ingratitude The unknown, interrupting her, inquired what she would do if the monster endeavored to kill him, if it were decreed that one of them must slay the other, to which would she afford assistance. I love you only, she replied, but extreme as is my affection for you, it cannot weaken my gratitude to the beast, and if I found myself placed in so fatal a position, I would escape the misery which the result of such a compact would inflict on me by dying by my own hand. But why indulge in such dreadful suppositions? However chimerical the idea freezes my blood. Let us change the conversation." She set him the example by saying all that an affectionate girl could say, most flattering to her lover. She was not restrained by the rigid customs of society, and slumber left her free to act naturally. She acknowledged to him her love with a frankness which she would have shrunk from, when in full possession of her reason. Her sleep was of a long duration, and when she awoke, she feared the beast had failed in his promise to her. She was in this uncertainty, when she heard the sound of a human voice, which she recognized, undrawing her curtains precipitately. What was her surprise, when she found herself in a strange apartment? the furniture of which was not near so superb as that in the palace of the beast. This prodigy induced her to rise hastily and open the door of her chamber. The next room was equally strange to her, but what astonished her still more was to find in it the four chests she had filled the previous evening. The transport of herself and her treasures was a proof of the power and the bounty of the beast. But where was she? She could not imagine, when at length she heard the voice of her father, and rushing out she flung her arms round his neck. Her appearance astounded her brothers and sisters. They stared at her as at one come from the other world. All her family embraced her with the greatest demonstrations of delight. But her sisters, in their hearts, were vexed at beholding her. Their jealousy was not extinguished. After many caresses on both sides, the good man desired to speak with her privately, to learn from her own lips all the circumstances of so extraordinary a journey, and to inform her of the state of his own fortune, of which he had set apart a large share for herself. He told her that on the evening of the same day that he had left the palace of the beast, He had reached his own house without the least fatigue, that on the road he had cogitated how he could best manage to conceal his trunks from the sight of his children, and wished that they could be carried without their knowledge into a little cabinet adjoining his bed-chamber, of which he alone had the key, that he had looked upon this as an impossibility, but that on dismounting at his door he found the horse of which his trunks had been placed, had run away, and therefore saw himself suddenly spared the trouble of hiding his treasures. I assure thee, said the old man to his daughter, that the loss of these riches did not distress me. I had not possessed them long enough to regret them greatly, but the adventure appeared to me a gloomy prognostic of my fate. I did not hesitate to believe that the perfidious beast would act in the same manner by thee. I feared that the favors he conferred upon thee would not be more durable. This idea caused me great anxiety. To conceal it, I feigned to be in need of rest. It was only to abandon myself without restraint to my grief. I looked upon thy destruction as certain, but my sorrow was soon dispiated. The sight of the trunks I thought had lost renewed my hopes of thy happiness. I found them placed in my little cabinet precisely where I had wished them to be. The keys of them, which I had forgotten and left behind me on the table in the saloon wherein we had passed the night, were in the locks. These circumstances, which afforded me a new proof of the kindness of the beast, and his constant attention, overwhelmed me with joy. It was then that, no longer doubting the advantageous result of thy adventure, I reproached myself for entertaining such unjust suspicions of the honour of the generous monster, and craved his pardon a hundred times for the abuse which, in my distress, I had mentally lavished upon him. Without informing my children of the extent of my wealth, I contented myself with disputing amongst them the presents thou hast sent them, and showing them some jewels of moderate value. I, afterwards, pretended to have sold them, and have employed the money in various ways for the improvement of our income. I have bought this house. I have slaves who relieve us from the labors of which necessity has subjected us. My children lead an easy life. That is all I care for. Ossentation and luxury drew upon me, in other days the hatred of the envious. I should incur it again, did I live in the style of a very wealthy man. Many offers have been made to thy sisters, beauty. I am about to marry them off immediately, and thy fortunate arrival decides me. Having given to them such portions of the wealth thou hast brought to me, as thou shalt think fit, and relieved of all care for their establishment, we will live, my daughter, with thy brothers, whom thy presence were not able to console For thy loss, or, if thou prefer it, we two will live together independently of them." Beauty, affected by the kindness of her father and the assurance he gave her of the love of her brothers, thanked him tenderly for all his offers, and thought it would be wrong to conceal from him the fact that she had not come to stay with him. The good man, distressed to learn that he should not have the support of his child in his declining years, did not, however, attempt to dissuade her from the fulfillment of a duty, which he acknowledged indispensable. Beauty, in her turn, related to him all that had happened to her since they parted. She described to him the pleasant life she led. The good man, enraptured at the charming account of his daughter's adventures, heaved blessing on the head of the beast, his delight was much greater still when Beauty, opening the chests, displayed to him the immense treasures they contained and satisfied him that he was at liberty to dispose of those which he had brought himself in favour of his daughters, and he would possess, in these last proofs of the beast's generosity, ample means to live merrily with his sons. Discovering in this monster too noble a mind to be lodged in so hideous a body, he deemed it his duty to advise his daughter to marry him. Notwithstanding his ugliness, he employed even the strongest arguments to induce her to take that step. Thou shouldest not take counsel from thine eyes alone, said he to her. Thou hast been unceasingly exhorted to let thyself be guided by gratitude. By following her inspirations, thou art assured thou wilt be happy. It is true these warnings are only given thee in dreams. But these dreams are too significant and too frequent to be attributed to chance. They promise thee great advantages, enough to conquer thy repugnance. Therefore, the next time that the beast asks thee if thou wilt marry him, I advise thee not to refuse him thou hast admitted to me that he loves thee tenderly. Take the proper means to make thy union with him indissoluble. It is much better to have an amiable husband than one whose only recommendation is a handsome person. How many girls are compelled to marry rich brutes, much more brutish than the beast, who is only one in form and not in his feelings or his actions?" Beauty admitted the reason of all these arguments but to resolve to marry a monster so horrible in person and who seemed as stupid as he was gigantic appeared to her an impossibility. How can I determine, replied she to her father, to take a husband with whom I can have no sympathy and whose hideousness is not compensated by the charms of his conversation? No other object to distract my attention and relieve that wearisome companionship, not to have the pleasure of being sometimes absent from him to hear nothing beyond five or six questions respecting my health or my appetite followed by a good-night beauty chorus which my parents know by heart i repeat a hundred times a day it is not in my power to endure such a union and i would rather perish at once than by dying every day of fright sorrow disgust and weariness there is nothing to plead in his favour except the consideration he evinces in paying me very short visits and presenting himself before me but once in four-and-twenty hours. Is that enough to inspire one with affection? The father admitted that his daughter had reason on her side, but observing so much civility in the beast, he could not believe him to be as stupid as she represented him. The order, the abundance, the good taste was so discernible through his palace, were not, according to his thinking, the work of a fool. In fact, he found him worthy of the consecration of his daughter, and Beauty might have felt more inclined to listen to the monster had not her nocturnal lover's appearance thrown an obstacle in the way. The comparison she drew between these two admirers could not be favourable to the beast. The old man himself was fully aware of the great distinction which must be made between them. Notwithstanding, he tried by all manners of means to overcome her repugnance. He recalled to her the advice of the lady, who had warned her not to be prejudiced by appearances, and whose language seemed to imply that this youth would only make her miserable. It is easier to reason with love than to conquer it beauty had not the power to yield to the reiterated request of her father he left her without having been able to persuade her night already far advanced invited her to repose and the daughter although delighted to see her father once more was not sorry that he left her at liberty to retire to rest she was glad to be alone her heavy eyelids inspired her with the hope that in slumber she would soon again behold her beloved unknown. She was eager to enjoy this innocent pleasure. A quickened pulsation evinced the joy with which her gentle heart would greet that pleasant vision. But her excited imagination, while representing to her the scenes in which she had usually held sweet converse, with that dear unknown, had not sufficient power to conjure up his form to her as she so ardently desired. She awoke several times, but on falling asleep, again, no cupids flattered, round her couch. In a word, instead of a night full of sweet thoughts and innocent pleasures, which she had counted on passing in the arms of sleep, it was to her one of the interminable length and endless anxiety. She had never known any like it in the palace of the beast, and the day which she at last saw break with a mingled feeling of satisfaction and impatience came opportunity to relieve her from this weariness her father enriched by the liberality of the beast had quitted his country house and in order to facilitate the establishment of his daughters resided in a very large city where his new fortune obtained for him new friends or rather new acquaintances Amidst the circle who visited him, the tidings soon spread that his youngest daughter had returned. Everybody evinced an equal impatience to see her, and were each as much charmed with her intellect as with her beauty. The peaceful days she had passed in her deserved palace, the innocent pleasures which a gentle slumber had invariably procured her the thousand amusements which succeeded, so that dullness could never take possession of her spirit. In brief, all the attentions of the monster had combined to render her still more beautiful and more charming than she was when her father first parted from her. She was the admiration of all who saw her, the suitors of her sisters, without condescending to excuse their infidelity, by the slightest pretext fell in love with her and attracted by the power of her charms, deserted without a blush their former mistresses, insensible to the marked attentions of a crowd of adorers, she neglected nothing that could discourage them and induce them to return to the previous objects of their affection. But, notwithstanding all her care, she could not escape the jealousy of her sisters. The inconstant lovers, far from concealing their new passion invented every day some fresh entertainment with the view of paying their court to her they entreated her even to bestow the price in the games which took place in her honor but beauty who could not be blind to the mortification she was causing her sisters and yet was unwilling to refuse utterly the favor they implored so ardently and in so flattering a manner found means to satisfy them all by declaring that she would alternately with her sisters present the prize to the victor. What she selected was a flower or some equally simple garden. She left her elder sisters the honour of giving, in their turn, jewels, crowns of diamonds, costly weapons, or superb bracelets, presents which her liberal hands supplied them with, but for which she would not take the slightest credit the treasures lavished on her by the monster left her in want of nothing she divided between her sisters everything she had brought that was most rare and elegant bestowing nothing but trifles herself and leaving them the pleasure of giving largely she counted on securing for them the love as well as the gratitude of the useful competence but these lovers thought only to gain her heart and the simplest gift from her hand was more precious to them than all the treasures that were prodigally heaped upon them by the others the amusements she partook of amongst her family thought vastly inferior to those she enjoyed in the palace of the beast entertained her sufficiently to prevent the time hanging heavily on her hands at the same time neither the gratification of seeing her father whom she tenderly loved nor the pleasure of being with her brothers who in a hundred ways studied to prove to her the extent of their affection nor the delight of conversing with her sisters of whom she was very fond though they were not so of her could prevent her regretting her agreeable dreams her unknown greatly to her sorrow came not when she slumbered under her father's roof to address her in the tenderest language and the court paid to her by those who had been the admirers of her sisters did not compensate for the loss of that pleasing illusion. had she ever been of a nature to feel flattered by such conquest she would still have distinguished an immense difference between their attentions or those of the beast and the devotion of her charming unknown their assiduities were received by her with the greatest indifference but beauty perceiving that notwithstanding her coolness they were obstinately bent on rivaling each other in the task of proving to her the intensity of their passion. thought so it her duty to make them clearly understand they were losing their time. The first she endeavoured to undeceive was one who had courted her eldest sister. She told him that she had only returned for the purpose of being present at the marriage of her sisters, particularly that of the eldest sister and that she was about to press her father to settle it immediately. Beauty found that she had to deal with a man who saw no longer any charms in her sister. He sighed alone for her, and, coldness, disdain, the threat to depart before the expiration of the two months, nothing, in short, could discourage him. Much vexed at having failed in her object, she held a similar conversation with the others whom she had the mortification to find equally infatuated to complete her distress her unjust sisters who looked upon her as a rival conceived a hatred to her which they could not dissemble and whilst beauty was deploring the too great power of her charms she had the misery of learning that her new adorers believing each to be the cause of the other's rejection were bent in the maddest way in fighting it out amongst themselves all these annoyances induced her to determine upon returning sooner than she had contemplated. Her father and brothers did all they could to detain her, but the slave of her word, and firm in resolution neither the tears of one nor the prayers of the others could prevail upon her. All that she could exhort from her was that she would defer her departure as long as she could. The two months had nearly expired, and every morning she determined to bid adieu to her family without having the heart when night arrived to say farewell. In the compact between her affection and her gratitude, she could not lean to the one without doing injustice to the other. In the midst of her embarrassment, it needed nothing less than a dream to decide her. She fancied she was at the Palace of the Beast and walking in a retired avenue, terminated by the thicket full of brambles concealing the entrance to a cavern out of which issued horrible groans she recognized the voice of the beast and ran to his assistance the monster who in her dream appeared stretched upon the ground and dying reproached her with being the cause of his death and having repaid his affection with the blackest ingratitude she then saw the lady who had before appeared to her in her sleep and who said in her in a severe tone that it would be her destruction if she hesitated any longer to fulfil her engagements, that she had given her word to the beast that she would return in two months, that the time had expired, that the delay of another day would be fatal to the beast, that the trouble she was creating in her father's house and the hatred of her sisters ought to increase her desire to return to the palace of the beast, where everything combined to delight her. Beauty, terrified by this dream, and fearing to be the cause of the death of the beast, awoke with a start and went immediately to inform her family that she could no longer delay her departure. This intelligence produced various effects. Her father's tears spoke for him, her brothers protested that they would not allow her to leave them, and her lovers, in despair, swore they would not suffer the house to be robbed of its brightest ornaments her sisters alone far from appearing distressed at her departure were loud in praise of her sense of honour and affecting to possess the same virtue themselves had the audacity to assure her that if they had pledged their words to the beast as she had done they should not have suffered his ugliness to have interfered with their feelings of duty and that they should have long ere that time been to their road back to the marvellous palace it was thus they endeavoured to disguise the cruel jealousy that rankled in their hearts beauty however charmed by their apparent generosity thought only of convincing her brothers and her lovers of the obligation she was under to leave them but her brothers loved her too much to consent to her going and her lovers were too infatuated to listen to reason all of them being ignorant of the mode in which Beauty had arrived at her father's house, and never doubting but that the horse which first conveyed her to the palace of the beast would be sent to take her back again, resolved amongst themselves to prevent it. Her sisters, who only concealed their delight by the affection of a sentiment of horror, as they perceived the hour approach of Beauty's departure, were frightened to death, lest anything should occur to delay her but beauty firm in her resolution knowing whether duty called her and having no more time to lose if she would prolong the existence of the beast her benefactor at nightfall took leave of her family and of all those who were interested in her destiny she assured them that whatever steps they took to prevent her departure she should nevertheless be in the palace of the beast the next morning, before they were stirring, that all their schemes would be fruitless, and that she had determined to return to the enchanted palace. She did not forget on going to bed to turn her ring. She slept very soundly, and did not awake until the clock in her chamber, striking noon, chimed her name to music. By that sound she knew that her wishes were accomplished as soon as she evinced a disposition to rise, her couch was surrounded by all the animals who had been so eager to serve her, and who unanimously testified their gratification at her return and expressed the sorrow they had felt at her long absence. End of section twenty one.